Higher Things thanks you for your support. Please continue to support the work we do with youth by going to our website at higherthings.org, clicking on support and donating securely through PayPal. Your gift helps us in our mission to support pastors, youth workers, and parents in daring our church's youth to be Lutheran. And welcome to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we confess with St. John that these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're your hosts, who also confess with my son, Rar. I'm Thomas Lemke. And I am Rar, uh, Pastor Eric Brown. And we are glad to have you with us with our, our uh, live studio audience in our uh, Oklahoma location, if you can't tell tonight. We'll and, see how uh, much of that I can clean up and post. We're, we're doing something exciting today. And do you know what that is? We are starting a new book of the Bible. Okay, let me, let me back up. No, we are not going to live write a book of the Bible on this podcast. And that, that would be totally terrible. And we'd get like fired and probably go to hell. But, but, <laughs> but we are starting. <laughs> good timing. We are yeah. starting the book of Acts tonight, right? We, we did decide Acts, right? Yes. Oh, yes. oh good, good, good. Because I mean. So you probably could have like pulled a fast. Oh no, we're doing this. And I'm like, oh well, okay, but but no, we're we're moving back to the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at at uh, the the Acts of the Apostles. So Thomas, just uh, any random thoughts that you might have about the Acts of the Apostles uh, before we dive on in? Yeah, I, I think it's pertinent to note that this is part two, right? And it's part two of specifically of Luke's writings. Right. The the Acts of the Apostles is written by Luke, same fellow who writes the Gospel of Luke. And in many ways, it is almost a sequel to the Gospel. And this is something to, to note. Um, one of the things that is a, a foundational point for, for what goes on with, uh, with the book of Acts is that the assumption is that Jesus is just as present and active in the book of Acts as he was in the gospel. It's just mm-hmm. he is now acting through the apostles, that, that he is present and active in his church. So it still is the story of Christ Jesus the Messiah bringing salvation. It's just now he is working through the word proclaimed by the church. And that that's one of the, the fundamental things, that what you have going on in the church is an extension of what Christ has done in his earthly ministry. So I, I think it's, uh, there's a reason why Luke just kind of picks right up and dovetails right into the end of the Gospel of Luke and carries on with what he's doing. He's making an assertion that, that when you see all the stuff going on with Peter or with Paul, that is actually Christ Jesus at work in his church. Sounds good. All right. And, anything all right. else? No, I'm ready to go if you all are. All right, let's just get on into it. Okay. Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right. So a few things with that little opening opening paragraph that are important. Uh, first, Thomas, who is Theophilus? Do we know? I mean, he's he's an individual, higher higher upper crust individual from all indications that Luke is writing this to. We actually have no idea who Theophilus is or even if there is a Theophilus. Do you remember enough Greek to tell me what the name Theophilus means? Love of God, I would think. Friend of God. Well, friend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Certain. Yeah. That's God right. friend or friend of God, if you want. So, so it could be that there actually is a fellow named Theophilus or it mm-hmm. could be a name for the dear listener. As it were, uh, uh, that that anyone who is hearing this is assumed to be a friend of God, a, a, a lover of God. And so it, it could be just a, a fancy title given to the listeners. It could be an individual person. We don't know because this is where you get Theophilus mentioned at the beginning of Luke and at the beginning of Acts. And that's kind of it. And eh, so um, makes sense. Never heard that, but that makes total sense. But but note how Luke starts this off. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. All right, I've done with what Jesus started off doing. Now, if Luke was dealing with what Jesus started to do until he got taken up, what is Acts going to be? What he has continued to do mm-hmm. now through the church. Do you see how it's setting up that, that flow that we're not, it's not, okay, we're going to have the ascension here in just a little bit. And then after that, Jesus is gone. No, no, that's not the operating assumption. It is a, a Lord of the church at present in his church. And, get, and again, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the what? What's the very last phrase in, in verse 3? Speaking the about the of God. And really, Luke is going to be arguing the Acts of the Apostles are showing what the kingdom of God on earth looks like. This is the the reality of it. That's what the church is. And here's what is being brought about by the work of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word, which we'll we'll get to in around a chapter. So, all right. All right. So just the happy setup. Good. All right. Verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right. You get this neat thing at the end of all the Gospels. Just wait in Jerusalem for a bit. And as we got the end of John, the disciples did seem kind of lost a bit after the resurrection. Like, well, what do we do now? And Jesus, mm-hmm. don't, don't worry. Just, just, just chill out. And in the right and proper time, at the right moment, I will pour the Holy Spirit upon you. And remember, uh, he, this, I'm pulling from John now. He is the helper. He will bring all things to your remembrance. Things will get ordered out. One of the things to emphasize, I think, about Acts chapter 1 is the disciples have no clue what's going on. They, they are there. Their stuff is not in gear yet. I'll put it that way. They're, they're ah, what do we do? And, and that comes up through the rest of the chapter. You don't have a decisive, oh, now we know what to do. Brah! Not in chapter one yet. That'll come later, but not in chapter one. Why? 
Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet, folks. So, all right. So, right. questions, comments there with the opening. Hmm. Push on. Oh, 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 well, oh, wait. I do have one. You hear Jesus in one of the Gospels, I believe the synoptics, but frankly, I don't remember the reference for sure, where he says uh, something about a baptism with fire. Is that, am I recalling that in any way correct? Like uh, some, you know, John baptized with water, but maybe I'm thinking of this person complaining about something else. I think it is John who says in the beginning of, of John's gospel, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. That's, I think that's it. Right. Yeah. So I could be wrong. No angry letters. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 if I recall correctly, that's how it goes. And, and yes, that's going to be chapter two. Be patient, Thomas. We're going to get to chapter two. Okay. Just, just, I was trying to get there, but then you asked another uh, question. All right, so. There right. you have it. All right. Well, how, we'll just how wonderful when brothers dwell together in unity. Um, <laughs> okay, let, let's carry on. It's that philos coming out. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Pause he there. Said, oh, okay. All right. I want to make a contrast. There, there's a yeah. beautiful little contrast. At the end of verse 3, Luke sets up that Jesus is speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And yet, even on the eve of the ascension, even as that is coming, even though you've had the 40 days after the resurrection, what are the disciples still asking about? Now is this the time where you restore the kingdom to what? Israel. They're still thinking primarily politically. They're still thinking Physically, they're still thinking about we're going to be large and in charge and we're going to have wealth and power on earth because we picked the right guy to follow. Because the Messiah is going to, well, yeah, he raised from the dead. He's, he's going to stomp our enemies, right? And we'll have awesome, our best life now. Woohoo! <laughs> and now we get Jesus' response. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You will receive, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. All right, something very interesting to note about this: you will what? You will receive power, not you will exercise power, <laughs> not not you will not you will. Uh, get to do what you want, not that your power will grow, but you will be given a, a power, a dunamis. And what will that power do? What will that power bring about? Well, it's the power of God that will bring about a witness, a proclamation of the truth of the gospel. You're not going to get a political power. You're not going to get military might. You're going to get the power of the spirit and the word, or the word and the spirit, whichever way you'd want to put that. This power will make you proclaim the truth, will make you proclaim me, make you proclaim Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. And so you have this setup. The disciples are still clueless at the ascension. It's great. It, it's very comforting to me as a pastor because there are plenty of times when I come across things, I don't know what to do now. Hey, the disciples are still clueless at the ascension. That is something that is fantastic. And and then you get the happy moment, chapter nine, uh, chapter nine, verse nine. And when he had said these things, as, yes, moo cow. <laughs> and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I do think this is one of the funnier statements in the entirety of the Bible. Just because you, you can all see the, the, the disciples all with their heads rotating up to the sky, looking up, and then just two angels walking by and going, uh, why are you still looking up there, guys? <laughs> he, he's going to come back, but but not like in the next like few minutes. So you should just like get ready to go and, and you know, go back to Jerusalem like he, he told you, you know. And so so I, I, I just you, you do get a good sense of the fact that they're, they're not all professional. They're not all grown up. They're not all confident. Just, oh, yeah, we know what we're supposed to do. Our leader is now departed from us, and we're ready to go. Uh, no, they're 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 they don't know what's going on. You, ha- God, had to send angels to say, "All right, stop looking at the sky, go home." It's like the end of the movie Ferris Bueller, where Ferris, Bueller, what, what are you doing? It's over. Go home. I, it, it, it's, come on, guys, see Crest out. Go go home. So, <laughs> and. and and that's how the gospel of Acts starts with, with the disciple. Th- think about this. It is the Acts of the Apostles. Here we're going to tell you about the mighty deeds of the Apostles. And the first story with the Apostles is them going, uh, and staring Looking up the up sky. like turkeys in the rain. <laughs> yeah. And so it it's not starting off the way you'd want. Oh, and starts off with them being told that, oh, yeah, you have no power right now. You're, you'll get power to bear witness, but you got nothing now. So, all right. Any thoughts there? Anything else before we slide on into break? Yeah, I, I guess just the last thing is, as we wrap up here with this segment is, uh, I guess Jesus, instead of just materializing out of nowhere, poof style, when he returns, he will be lowered from on high. Is that the the import of what the angels are saying here? Uh, I I, I reckon so. Or Walk at the least same path back, so to speak. At least he'll be in the clouds. I think will be the oh. the the bigger thing. So I, I I don't know. I've yet to experience it, but I'm sure when it happens, <laughs> I will know it. Because and it, it won't be. Oh oh! Did you hear it happened over there? And no no no. no. Well, as lightning from east to west. That that's somewhere else in scripture. All right. True. Let's go take a break, and we'll get back to some backwards life when we get back from the break. And we are back on the Gospel Boldly Podcast. And now to that happy segment of the show that we call the Backwards Life, where Thomas will present some type of pithy, random, Christian, saner idea that gets tossed around in our sadly messed up American theological landscape. And we'll go take a backwards look at it, come at it from a different angle and see what we can see about it. Hey, why are you smirking at that? (laughs) I just chuckle that you saw fit to include the word American this time with when normally, well, I don't, I don't know about normally, but oftentimes you don't. Seeing as today, I'm going overseas. <laughs> with what? I'm going overseas with my question, Uh-oh. which uh, hails right. from the Far East, actually. Um, I don't know if you heard about it, but here within the last week or so, a, a Chinese church was destroyed by the Chinese communist government. And I suppose you could look at this from the American side of things and, and do a backwards take along those lines because of the the difference in approach. I, I I guess I'll let you be the judge, but I guess the topic that I wanted to present to you was this idea of persecution, specifically persecution as, you know, in the form of destruction of property by one's own government. 
you know, as a Christian entity. And I'll let you take it from there. I'm going to go from a third angle. Okay. I'm going to talk about martyrdom in the uh, the second and third centuries. Cool. One of the things that happens in early church Christian literature is martyrdom happens. Uh, some of the, the first early writings that we have of the church are the letters of Ignatius of Antioch, who is the old bishop of Antioch. And this is written right around 110 AD. He's around 80 years old. And they capture him. And they're going to drag him to Rome to kill him in Rome because he's a big fish in the church. And they're, they're going to, you know, just kill him down in the backwaters. You're going to take him to Rome to kill him. Absolutely. And he writes Make it some, a spectacle. Yeah, yeah. He, and he writes some great letters along the journey of, of places where he's going to or places he's just come from. And, and then one of the letters he writes is to a fellow by the name of Polycarp. And, and around 45 years later, Polycarp is a famous pastor who gets martyred. And, and they actually have something written about him called the martyrdom of Polycarp. And, and this is where it starts to get a little odd, where 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 they start kind of making the the stories get a little bit bigger or grandiose, and and how how when they they put Polycarp in the fire at first he didn't burn, so they had to add more and more, and and when he did start to burn, it started to smell like freshly baked bread, and it's all this hagiography stuff. Yeah, and basically for for the next 150 years after that, you have periodic rounds of persecution sweep up in the church. And there's such a, a focus on literature or, or teaching about, you know, you need to be brave in the face of persecution that you also get the other pastoral concerns coming up of them have the pastors having to take time to write out and make sure, all right, don't seek persecution. And it's like, okay, no, no, no. Make the good confession if you have to, but you know, you can run away. If you can mm-hmm. get away before, don't don't try and get yourself caught. I mean, I know I know we have these all heroic stories about these these folks who are martyred, but but don't go seek it out. That's not your job. Right. Um, by the way, the word martyrdom is witness. We had martyr the word martyr. You will be my martyrs and in you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. All right. Now, with that in mind. I would like to speak quickly about the American church and how we are undergoing so much more persecution. And and are you ready to make the good confession because of what, the massive persecution we face in the U.S. because sometimes people don't applaud us for our beliefs? I, I think events in China or other places like the Sudan where, where you have death in Egypt – reminds us and should remind us of just how good we have it here. And sometimes we can have a rush to adopt the position of martyrs where we can, where we can say, yeah, I want to, I want to show how boldly I am defending my faith. And because look, I had a friend who didn't like my Facebook post and yelled at me and they unfriended me. And, and I am such a victim for my faith. And, and, and I do think one of the things that is, is nice from our American perspective we have such freedom. We have we have it so easy here. Even even oh well, they're taking freedoms away. Well, uh, hey, <laughs> uh, Thomas, were you able legally to go to church last Sunday? Yep. I, I you know you know what we did last Sunday. We we had our Saturday night services normal at church, but then Sunday morning we met openly in the town park and had wow. service at the park and a picnic. And we could, A, do so legally. There weren't pickets and protests. I, 
and and I, we didn't have to worry about the cops coming. In fact, it was the park that's right next to the town police station. Ooh, right on. We have an incredible amount of freedom, and and, and yes. American culture is becoming less Christian and a little bit more hostile to Christianity. But you know what? Our Many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world are actually facing legitimate hostility where they are, where, where going to church is not just a, oh, there might be a crazy guy like that Dylan Roof guy. It, it's a... a the state kind of wants to stamp this out. There's a, a an organized state push against the church or an organized group against that. that. And so it, it's one of the things where when we hear things like this, we should, I think, really be thankful for the blessings of freedom and opportunity that we've been given in this country and that we still have, even as the country gets a little bit more crazy and loopy. For sure. All right. Did that cool. really answer your question? It did. Okay. And yes, do keep our brothers and sisters all around the world in prayer. Uh, it's one of the things that commonly comes up in the prayer of the church here. And it, it I don't know. When we, when we, uh, when we look around, we can, can almost want to, to itch for a fight and eh, well, no, 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 just, just endure. The, be, be, be people who receive the good gifts that God gives. Don't worry about trying to make a point to anyone or put them in their place because that's not the spirit of Christ. That's mm-hmm. not what the Holy Spirit does. So, all right, there you go. All right, so be it. Oh, I just kind of petered out on that one. Oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> Peter, ah, petered, I should have pulled it. Oh, wait, no, they're <laughs> both in the book. All right, okay, let's get back to the book of Acts. As well as several others. We're about to get the whole litany of names. The gamut. All right. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the, uh, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Hey Thomas, did you know they had automobiles in, in the New Testament? No. Hey, the scriptures say that the disciples were all in one accord. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> okay, all right, sorry. <laughs> That is one of my favorite worst jokes. Ouch. So, but so basically, they 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 leave the Mount of Olives and they get together and, and they're they're gathered. So uh, you get the list of the main apostles, and then they note that there are other folks that are supporting them, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So basically, the the core that you have, you've got the apostles, the eleven at the moment some other disciples who come along, including the, the women, i.e. the ones who had the money to help fund the guys, because let's face it, they're, they're not exactly holding down day jobs. I mean, Peter can't even remember how to fish, right? And then, and then you do have some of Jesus' family coming on in too. You get James who comes in and ends up uh, taking a position of leadership. You have Jude as well and stuff like that. So, so the gang's all here, all right? Mm-hmm. And, and f- remember... Luke is writing to an audience where there would be more 
oral knowledge of these folks, where, where the stories would have gone around, where these would have all been folks who were a little bit more familiar and real. So he doesn't have to give all the a ton of data about who they are. It's, well, yeah, you know who they are. All, all of them were there. Everyone who, wherever all the apostles end up, end up, they were still there at that time. All right? All right. Okay, let's go on. Okay. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was uh, in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share of this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Acheldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. All right, so they're gathered, and you have 120. So you've got basically the 11 remaining apostles, uh, probably the 72 that, that had been sent out, um, and, you know, some family, some of the women, stuff like that. So, so it's not an inconsequential group, not exactly mm-hmm. ginormous yet either. And Peter stands up and says, listen, all right, we've lost Judas. But you know what, again, this is one of the things that, that – the scripture had said was going to happen. Now I would make a contention here. If you remember, how does Luke's gospel end? Jesus opens up the gospels, opens up Moses, the prophets and the Psalms to all things concerning him. So I'm guessing this is not just an insight that Peter came up thinking with, but rather, Hey, you remember how, how Jesus mentioned this thing about (laughs) Judas, right? (laughs) Yeah. All right. I agree. Um, I think uh, that's entirely it. So, This is not just, this is Peter reiterating what what he had been told. All right, carry on. Okay. So one of the men who have accompanied us uh, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen and uh, to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, now now know what goes on here. Something is interesting. A few things are interesting about this. One, they, uh, they're going to fill up the spot. Now, Thomas, can I ask you a question? Yeah, hit me. Why wouldn't they just say, oh, we'll just go with 11 apostles? Why would they they really want to fill the spot? Well, if this is typologically the 12 tribes of Israel surrounding the one God of Israel, Jesus Christ— you got to have 12. Right. It doesn't work any other way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 12 is the right number. You don't stop at 11. 11 is just wrong to stop at. Let's get up to 12, all right? Uh, hey, I got a quick question. Are our, our minute are our segments 12 minute long segments? Nope, they're 14 oh, and a no. half on average. Oh no. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll we'll just count a few a few of those minutes like not counting. Uh and so so they're gonna they're gonna get back up to 12. Um, a few things. The first candidate 
is a fellow named Joseph, also called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice. Now, all right, uh, Thomas, why does the guy have three names? Well, because the Trinity, no, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe three different languages at play. I, I'd have to look at the names again to see if there were languages at work. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin. And this is something that, that's going to come up with one of my pet peeves later on. You often had multiple names because you had different languages going on. And so basically you would get names for, for your language. Uh, when I was in uh, Japanese class, at college, they didn't call me Eric. They called me Eriku because that's the mm-hmm. closest way that you would put my name in, in Japanese. Makes um, sense. Hebrew is Arik. Eh, all right. Okay. I mean, in Spanish, I could have been Enrique. It, it, <laughs> so, so, but basically one of the things, whereas we try to do very similar, they didn't care as much as that were similar. You would have your, your name in a foreign language. You have different. So, all right, right. So that's that one guy. And then. There's someone else. And you know what? We're going to get back to him after the break. We'll, we'll go to the break, cast your lots over the break. No, actually, you don't need to do that. But we'll come back and we'll find out about Matthias after the break. And we are back on the Gospel Boldly podcast. And we're wrapping up uh, Acts chapter 1, where where the disciples have just thrown lots to get a replacement disciple. So, uh, Thomas, uh, we had just talked about about Jonas, I mean, jo- uh, Joseph, I mean, Justice, I mean, Barsabbas, uh, the <laughs> guy of three names. The disciples pray and cast lots. Now, do you take anything of note or significance from this casting of lots? I'm going to make an argument in a second, but I want to see what your thoughts are first. Well, I mean, there's some Old Testament, I guess, precedent for the casting of lots. They would determine, uh, like, for instance, when they when they found Saul, you know, was going to be king, they cast lots to whittle down by tribe and then by clan and then by household and then, you know, got Saul himself. So there's, like I say, there's a precedent in that regard. Also, it takes the decision out of, ultimately, because they, they whittled it down themselves, but it takes the decision out of human hands and puts it not in the realm of chance, but in the realm of God. This is the point that, that I want to make. The, the, we're gonna, next episode, we'll move on to Acts chapter 2, which will be the Pentecost, and that's where, where we start getting the apostle acting like the powerful apostles that we know and love. <laughs> Yay! But, but even as Peter stands up and speaks, all right, Guys, this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, and and think how. Yeah, we're not sure who we should go. Okay, we whittle it down to two. Okay, uh, we'll just cast lots. Mm-hmm. There, there's no self authority there. There's no. All right, we'll we'll just decide amongst the eleven, and we'll sh- we'll be sure that whatever decision we come to is good and God pleasing. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's a lot of. Okay, we, we need to replace the guy. We we need to get back up to to twelve. Uh, okay, let's just draw straws. I, do do you see how that's not exactly a, a they're they're not operating from a position of confidence yet? Why? Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet. So the they they kind of know we we need to get things right. We we need to get them set up in, in a good order. But uh, okay, we'll, we'll we'll just throw lots. We the, okay. He should at least have been with us from the beginning, so we can talk about the entirety of of Jesus' ministry, all the things, so that 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 
we're, we, we don't start talking about some of the early stuff and the guy goes, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so we need someone there all the time. And so you get Matthias and Matthias gets chosen. And so uh, that that's what you end up getting. I, I do think it is a, you could say positively it is a show of humility where, where the disciples are being humble and not presuming upon God. You could also say it is a sign of, we still don't know quite what's going on yet. Fair enough. I mean, even Peter's bold speech here in chapter one is nowhere near as bold as what his preaching is going to be in chapter two. Yeah, we need to do something. So uh, let's do something together. Let's toss a coin. Uh, Yeah. So, but do you see what... Do you see how I dare it say? Dare I say? It? Yes, I will say. It. Do you see how it sort of just peters out? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you get this. Uh, the stuff hasn't happened, and of course, next time when we go on, we're gonna and, and we're not gonna start it tonight, just because I mean, you, you got to go whole Pentecost story on its own run. We're gonna be getting Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. They haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, so they are a bit more unsure, a bit more unsteady. So. All right, Thomas. What now? Okay, so here's where I want to take this. We've talked about the qualifications that the apostles put forth for mm-hmm. the replacement of Judas. And, you know, they're good qualifications. There's additional qualifications laid out in Scripture for pastors. And I'm not necessarily okay. equating, not that there's a perfect correlation at, at any rate, the office of apostle with the office of pastor. So I would like to begin there. I'd like it if you could tell us what the distinctions are between the office of apostle and office of pastor are. And then if we could go from there into more of a discussion on what the qualifications for pastors are, and maybe if we have time, what kind of education pastors are expected to have in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All right. uh, So apostles versus pastors and then qualifications. All right. So, um, and incidentally, yeah, I, I should I'm mention, not, we're doing this so that we can take Pentecost all at one chunk. Right. I, I am not an apostle. Uh, I know there are some churches where, where the, the, the pastor calls himself, I'm apostle so-and-so. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the apostles were generally viewed to be the ones who were directly sent by Christ. Um, Thomas, when was the last time I had a direct conversation with Jesus? I mean, to my knowledge... Never I in the flesh has <laughs> that, that is ever happened. Correct. <laughs> that that is correct. My my call is not a direct call from Jesus where Jesus shows up. We're gonna get one more. We're gonna get the thirteenth apostle. Who's that gonna be, Thomas? Uh, well, Paul, yeah. And, and how does Paul get called? Directly. That yeah, he did, he would have been the last direct <laughs> <Yeah>. call. <laughs> Jesus showed up to him directly and says, All right, this is what you're doing. So that's part of what the 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 apostolic thing is there you're you're dealing with with eyewitnesses of jesus once you move beyond those apostolic eyewitnesses you end up getting the the pastoral office um and actually in the scripture they talk about three different things they talk about bishops which means overseers that's really what we think of as a head pastor or elders slash presbyters which aren't really an elder at today that that's almost the equivalent of a a Roman Catholic priest or an assistant pastor, where you can do all the things that the bishop does, but you you don't just do it on your own, you're assisting a bishop. And then there were the deacons who 
really we're almost the equivalent of a modern day vicar in the LCMS mm-hmm. where they are lower level clergy who can't do everything and act as an assistant. And uh, and actually, in, in Acts, when we get the first deacons, they were designed more to handle a lot of the busy work so the, so the apostles could have fun. Um, <laughs> so so it, it's a, a different thing, although the bishops end up becoming the heirs of the apostles, and some of the apostles ended up becoming bishops, uh, at least according to church custom and tradition. Uh, Thomas... Um, well, you just turned away and went after your son who's giggling in the background. Uh, uh, for example, uh, Peter ends up, according to tradition, as the bishop of Rome. Rome. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so basically, apostles are sent out to the church at large. But once you start getting congregations, you, you once you start getting congregations, you get the uh, the the development of pastoral offices that are really tied to individual places. Uh, if you want to look at the qualifications of these offices, you get them in First uh, Timothy 3 and then in Titus and a few other places. And, and basically, the qualifications end up being practical. Okay. Uh, the, the first one is uh, husband of one wife, literally a man of one woman. In other words, okay, they're going to be a guy because we have a male priesthood. There are tons of debates and why you go after the moment to say, this is what God has said. We'll leave it there. Uh, husband of one wife. Basically, they're not to be a womanizer. Thomas, why would you not want your pastor to be a womanizer? I mean, that can cause all kinds of drama and stuff in the flock. <laughs> oh, there's all sorts of drama. Oh, well, here, let, let me let me go flip to first Timothy three so I can read instead of doing everything off the top of my head because the top of my head is bald. All right. Uh, let's see. A husband of one. Uh, oh, sorry. An overseer must be above reproach. So he's not to be a known scoundrel because if he's a known scoundrel, then what? No one's going to buy yeah. it. No one's going to believe yeah. it. Husband of one wife. So no, no running around that can cause problems. Sober minded. In other words, uh, if he goes off the drop of a hat, that's not good. He's, it's a position of leadership. You need to be kind of level-headed. Self-controlled. Again, position of leadership and responsibility. If you can't manage yourself, you can't do your job. All right? Respectable. <laughs> In other words, if no one respects them, no one's going to listen to them. You, you don't have the power of, like, swords or guns to make people listen. You, you only have your moral authority. you got to have moral authority. Mm-hmm. Hospitable. You're supposed to care for the stranger, able to teach. If you can't teach, well, that's not a good thing as you're a pastor and teacher. <laughs> uh, not a drunkard. Again, got to gotta like be sober to get there. Uh, not violent, but gentle. Can't go beat people in submission. Not quarrelsome. Not, not looking just to, to cause fights and debates. Not a lover of money. Again, you can't be greedy. Why? One of the things in the early church is today in the Missouri Senate, we have a nice little distinction where uh, I don't handle the church funds. Back then, the pastor was view, was the person who handled the distribution of funds. Part of the reason why a pastor was supposed to be paid and supposed to be generous was so that he could handle a lot of private needs of money and stuff on the quiet without bringing up embarrassment or what have you. All right. 
Uh, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone who does not know how to manage his own household, how will he maintain? How will he care for the for God's church? All right. So again, you know, there's a way you can kind of tell if a guy can maybe be apt to be a bishop. Can he run his own house? If he can't handle his own personal affairs, let's not put a bunch of public affairs on top of him. Um, in the Missouri Senate, we end up uh, generally requiring our pastors to go through a seminary education. And to get to seminary, generally you have to have a bachelor's degree in something. And then you go to the seminary for four years, three years of class time, and then a one-year internship called a vicarage. Uh, normally the third year is the vicarage. And then you graduate with a MDiv, a Master's of Divinity, which is If that isn't the most egotistical, arrogant sounding degree, (laughs) I don't know what is. So basically, we we do like to have a a well-educated, well-grounded clergy. Um, Oh, one more. He must not be a recent convert. Well, if you're going through four years of training, you're you're no longer quite a recent convert. Mm -hmm. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Let me finish all the things. So they may not fall into disgrace. So in other words, get a good level-headed guy who can teach stuff and isn't a jerk. That, that's the ideal. Nice. Uh, we, we do three years of training. Hey, Thomas, mm. Thomas, if, if, if you had been with Jesus from the baptism of John, how long were you following Jesus? Yeah, right at about the three-year mark. Aha! Okay, what that has to do with anything, uh, it's a nice <laughs> neat parallel, but, but there needs to be some dedication to, to the study and such like that. So does that kind of work there? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, so those of you who are listening, if you want to become a pastor, fellas, it's a good thing, but it takes work. It's an eight year program. Once you get out of high school, it's not a, a quick and easy thing. And it's not cheap to go to a seminary anymore. And it's not exactly a high paying, high rolling job. It's one of the things that's always confused me. I, there, there are people in the church and any institution, you're going to get people who, who try to, uh, work the institution for power. And they're like, Oh yeah, look at this. I've gotten a high power paying job. I get six figures as a pastor. And it's just like, if you had that ambition, why don't you go into normal business and be making like, You just went to the small pond. Why are you? Okay, but that's just me rambling. So be it. Anything else there, Thomas? Hmm. There's a lot of, I think, places we could spin off from there, none of which here in the next minute that we have, I think, could be wrapped up and tied with a nice, neat little bow. So, no. I I will point out one thing. Uh, do bear in mind, especially as we go, continue to go through the book of Acts, that the church today is a continuation of this book. Mm-hmm. That, that, that we hold that we are part of the same Christian and apostolic church. So, so a lot of the arguments that, that Luke's making about the activity of, of God, the presence of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, in Acts, we claim today. Nice. So, all right. All right. Next time we'll get to Holy Spirit. Yay, Pentecost, wear red next week. We we, we will. All right. So be it. All right. And I, I promise next week I won't start randomly talking in Japanese or, or Hebrew unless I give you warning that I'm going to refer to something else in a different <laughs> language. All right.
No, no pranks. We're, we're making our no pranking promise. Oh, gosh. Abla, Hakuna Matata. Oh, okay. No, all right. Have a good week, everyone. Ba-dump, 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 ba-